Welcome back to 41,000 Feet and Thriving. It's Virginia here, and I'm so excited for today's guest. I think it's someone that everyone is going to love to hear from for a full 55 minutes. If there's anyone that ever encompassed community and being for one another, it is this lady. I'm talking, of course, of no one else other than Miss Jamie Gibson, the owner of Slightest, a website, a company, a community, a mentorship program. She is a chef on board. She is a beautiful flight attendant. She's a mother to a beautiful little boy. I'm lucky enough to call her a friend, which I still don't understand how that happened, but I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful for this person. She's helped so many in our community. So I really hope you absorb what we were talking about today and that you enjoy it. Everything that comes out of her head um, is just absolutely incredible. I always learn something when I talk with her. And so I hope you guys do as well. I think you will. And I think you'll enjoy it. Here we go. Welcome, Jamie. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think so many people are probably inside and maybe externally screening right now because it's probably one of the most requested things that I have gotten, like to have you on the show, which obviously it's always been a plan. We've talked about this before anyone knew about the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I told you again and again, like, don't wish, don't wait, just start. Go buy the equipment, get the subscription, go for it. And I did just that. I just started with not knowing what I was doing. It's been great, right? It's the best way to start anything. You, Everyone has to start somewhere. I think when people get really overwhelmed about anything, especially uh, the overwhelming amount of skills that you need to be successful in this industry, I always remind people, everyone started as a beginner, right? No matter what, no matter how skilled you are now, you started as a beginner. You have to be really bad at something before you're really good at it. <laughs> I love that. It's so true. Like I was even just thinking about like cooking. Like I just did a a dish recently that I never would have come up with before, but I'm working on this new account where like it has me thinking outside my normal boxes. And it's like, I would have never come up with this. And it just was like this moment of like, oh, maybe I'm kind of getting better at conceptualizing dishes that I aren't in my wheelhouse. And then I don't know that I'm going to be good at it, but I'm I'm trying it. Um, Yeah. I mean, sometimes you do. You just kind of have to leap out there and do it. Creativity is a muscle. And if it's not exercise, it's not going to get better. So if you're not consistently putting your place in, yourself in places where you're a little bit challenged in that way or a little bit challenged outside that comfort zone, that never gets stronger, right? So I love the fact that you did that challenge with Lauren the other day of here's eight ingredients and where can you take it? Uh, how do you conceptualize all those components of a dish? Like, Things like that are what prepare your creativity to really succeed in the gastronomy aspect of being a corporate flight attendant. Absolutely. It was kind of the same. Two of my favorite shows are like Gordon Ramsay shows, like MasterChef. I love like seeing those like, and I think you do something like this. Like we did something like this, me and you at Da Vinci together. Yes. Uh, we went with a group of people and Paula, the Paula Craft, she had us do a similar exercise where it was like gas station ingredients. And that's kind of like where I got the idea, Lauren and I did, where we were like, why don't we do this, but kind of elevated, obviously, uh, and have our own standard stock, kind of like that's the crossover with like master chefs and stuff. It's like you have your standard stock and can kind of elevate it from there, but also have a time limit. And it was so fascinating. And I remember doing it with you. And I don't know if you remember this, but 
we were we had probably like 10 people in that group is that right something around there i think something like yeah. and we went two at a time doing the service training where it was live time in a cabin server oh like atmosphere where we were serving re- in real time cooking the dish in the kitchen I got the pleasure, but also terrifying pleasure, of going up against Jamie Gibson. <laughs> oh, there was no going up against anyone. We were working as a team. We were like comrades together in the kitchen. It was, but it was also terrifying because at that point, also, my food knowledge was so little that to like just be serving next to you, I was so intimidated. Like it was terrifying for me. Oh my God. That's so funny looking back because to me, you were so poised and so confident and I thought you were so great at just taking a deep breath and working quite pragmatically is my (laughs) recollection of it oh well that's very sweet I wish that that was how it was always for me but I like you know I got head injury last year and so like during turbulence now when I cook I really have to work on my breathing because I, I get so freaked And there are those certain things I think that we all have that send us kind of in this not our normal zen. Um, I don't know if you have any of those. I'm sure you don't because you're just amazing. (laughs) No. Oh, my gosh. And I think the word that comes to mind, although it's definitely been overused a lot recently, like triggers, where we like come across a trigger and you're like, remember that one time you did this? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's like all of those mistakes and from the past come back to haunt you and you're like, okay, this is now, not then. Yeah. Uh, but most certainly it's it's a minefield. I think one thing that I tell myself often when I start to get in my head a little too much in that manner, I always say, I always tell myself, all that matters is delivery and enthusiasm. So if you can be, if you can still have a solid delivery and be enthusiastic about it, you're going to be okay. Mm. And I think that's kind of been the trick to the client experience facing side when things have gone awry. I was just talking to someone the other day about how they're like, I ran out of dishes. I had to serve cake at the end. I'd already gone through so many courses. I had so many guests on board. I had nothing to serve cake with. And I said, did you ever think about putting it in a wine glass? Yeah. Like just doing cake in a wine glass. She goes, no. And I said, well, think about this. You know, anytime that you can be really enthusiastic in your delivery to the client, be like, I'm really excited to serve the birthday cake next. What do you think about that? And then that way everyone can hold their cake in the glass and be really easy to eat. And I think that's kind of that perfect example of delivery and enthusiasm. If you're enthusiastic in your delivery, you can assuage any client or whatever situation you're in to become a positive experience, even though inside you may be sweating like crazy and you're like, I hope this works. Absolutely. I think it's so fascinating. The first thing that comes to mind for me is actually not an aviation example, although I have tons of aviation examples, but I was a catering manager. I started up a catering company for this nonprofit and we had this event that got thrown onto my plate within 24 hours. It was hosted in our menu. And we were serving, I think, like over 100 people. And it was just me and three other people. And we were dying because we had already worked. That sounds biblical. <laughs> oh, it, and it was. It was a Christian organization. So we were saying our prayer. Uh, yeah. Already exhausted. We had already put in two full days. And then we had this event after hours. And the exact same thing happened to me where I we were not set up for 100 people. We ran out of dishes. But we had just gotten a new supply of coffee mugs. 
and I still had dessert to serve. And I was like, we're serving the cobbler in coffee mugs. Go, go, go. Yep. I got so many compliments about it because people were like, oh, that's so inventive because you guys are a coffee shop too. Like, I, I love this touch and like ode and tip of the hat to yeah. coffee shop. And I was like, that, just- <laughs> that creativity and that resourcefulness, they'll cross over, right? And sometimes it doesn't always look spur of the moment. It actually can look premeditated. Yeah. And sometimes your best ideas like happen on accident. Like, you know, just like something falls on. Isn't that like a painter that has that quote? It's like his his paintbrush like fell onto the canvas or something and it became his greatest work of art. Well, and also um, uh, it, Austeria Francescana Massimo Batora, his pastry chef once dropped a lemon tart onto the plate. He was lowering it onto the plate and he dropped it. And pastry chefs, they're so precise. I mean, their whole lives and, and careers are run on precision. Pastry work is that nuanced in that way. And he drops it and the pastry chef starts freaking out. He's like, oh my God. So, you know, just beating himself to shreds. And Massimo Batora says, wait, stop. This is beautiful. And so they call it the broken lemon tart. And I believe it's still served to this day. And this was rated the best restaurant in the world. It's a three Michelin star restaurant in Modena, Italy. And it's a broken lemon tart. And they just drop it onto the plate. I love that. I mean, it's how, yeah, I love that. The creativity is key, especially in our, that's why I came to private was because in, in commercial, I was like not getting that creative muscle. It's why I've changed jobs before in private was because like an account wasn't challenging me enough and I was getting in a rut. Like this job, I think you and I have talked about it. You thrive when you're exactly what you said, when you're working that creative muscle. And if you're not, you're really not challenging yourself. You're not getting better. You're staying stagnant, which I don't know about you, but I hate that feeling. And I know you know I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that brings up a really good point of taking inventory. I think so many people are willing to just throw themselves into any opportunity because there is a little bit of of a desperate tone sometimes of just getting that next job or getting the next opportunity or just getting an opportunity at all. And people don't really aren't honest with themselves of is this going to be a role that I can see myself growing into, that they will that they will invest in my professional development, that where I want to go with my skill set and my career, this is going to be an environment that fosters that, right? Like I've had opportunities to work on accounts where it just wouldn't have been challenging or exciting in a culinary mo- manner. You know, maybe the client just wants me to pick up Chipotle and things from the Cheesecake Factory. True story. And I thought, and I thought, gosh, you know, I, I, I have this, I have this skill set and I have this ambition and willingness to to do more. And if that's not being tapped into, am I really going to feel fulfilled long term? Right. So going into it very honestly of what what am I looking for? And then what does this role and the expectations entail? And are they aligned? Yeah. I think you were the one that told me when I went contract a few months ago that, you know, when you're out there working with new clients or you're possibly looking at getting back into full time you're interviewing the clients just as much as they're interviewing you. And it that really changed how I looked at it. And also when I told like HR that or employers that were interviewing me that, they respected me so much more. Like their level of like, oh shit, she knows what she's doing. Like she's been doing this long enough to know she's like, it was almost like, damn, they figured out our secret kind of thing. Like, uh, And it was really cool that you can be distinguished and selective 
in that way moving forward. And I know what I'm what I'm saying here, it is a luxury, right? Because at the end of the day, everyone has financial obligations, right? And sometimes you you need to take an opportunity in order to fulfill those financial obligations. But I think that can still coincide with being really, really honest in these interview processes going into it of, is this an environment that I feel like I could be healthy and mentally and physically long-term? Do I enjoy working with these colleagues? And are the clients like, what is, what is it? Um, my, my Sasha always says she's like the five P's of a job. Um, pay, obviously, plane. Do you like the plane? Do you like the passengers? Uh, do you like the pilots? And I forget what the fifth one is. I'll have to ask her. But, you know, evaluating it in these lenses of, is this something that, that feels good? Yeah. To me. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And I think we all have to find our niche. Like for you, I think you've found it in like you get to, you've gotten to the point in your career where you get to pick and choose and you have these clients that love you. You have clients that you love and will do like favors for. And I think that it's so nice in a way that, you know, I think that we all look forward to that point where we get to that point where we can build this space where we have this mutual respect almost in the industry of like, okay, like this is my baseline and here we go. And, but it's just, it's just an interesting thing to learn. And I don't think many people think about it when they first start out because obviously it's that hustle because this industry is about hustle. Like I, I just like, that's one of the first things I think of in this industry is like, you've got to hustle at first and you always have to keep that up no matter how long you've been in it. Um, And it's one of the, just those key things that'll set you apart is obviously needs to be paired with hard work and dedication and good work. Um, But if you have that mentality, I just don't think you can go wrong very often if you're, because that means that you're learning and that you're trying to do better and you're constantly like working on a creativity muscle. Yeah. Um, I think no matter what point you get into your career, there always has to be elements of humility, right? You know, I, I think you just said, well, you've gotten to a point in your career, you can select and choose. And I think, you know, it's never lost on me that I must maintain that those elements of humility because at the end of the day, I'm in a, I'm in a service role. You know, I, I, I serve hospitality and I think that can be a selfish pleasure because it feels really good to me to serve others. Uh, but it's never lost on me that every every contract trip that I get or every trip that I'm offered is a privilege. It's, you know, in, in no world do I expect um, anything to be given to me on a silver platter. No, no, never. And no one that has talked with you would ever think that. You are the most humble and sweet and generous person. Even if you have 3,000 things on your to-do list, you still stop and talk to someone and genuinely ask how they are. And if they need to talk, you stop what you're doing and you do it. Like, Humility and generosity are two things that I associate with Jamie Gibson. Oh, that's really kind. Thank you for saying that. Um, I remember my dad saying a lot growing up, um, like the world runs on generosity. And that's always stuck with me. And I think we always think of the word generous in direct relation to fiscal resources, monetary resources. But I think, you know, you can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your other resources. You can be generous with uh, just the blessings that you're able to give to other people. And it's not always necessarily monetarily. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's kind of like love languages. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with those. but Oh, yeah, yeah. Gary, <laughs> it was like Dr. Gary 
Chapman. That sounds yes. right. Yes. Everyone's read the book. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's so it's been so long since I've read it, but I remember when it got really, really big, like in like 2014, 2015. And I think I think it was like its second bout of like getting popular. And um oh gosh, I just remember everyone being like, What's your love language? What's your love language? And mine is always acts of service. Like I will always be the one like at a party going behind the scenes while everyone's having fun and starting to clean up. So like that the host of the party can come into a clean kitchen and be like pleasantly surprised. And I love doing that. Like everyone's always like, stop, stop, go enjoy the party. And I'm like, I, I'm having a great time. <laughs> that is you. That is you in friendships too. Like I think, I think especially being able to identify what those love languages are within your friendships, but also within your professional work environment. Like I'm words of affirmation for certain. I love words of affirmation. Um, not that physical touch can permeate working professional environments. Let's separate that. But if someone is like a verbal affirmation person, I told every manager that I work with, I said, I am someone that runs on positive reinforcement. If you tell me that was great, that was a good job, like that will give me a source of vitality. That is something that completely energizes my professional levels of energy. <laughs> That's such an interesting topic at because I actually just worked for a client and afterwards the you know like the manager came to me and was like hey like how did everything go and it's like it was really good I think I think and they're like you think and I was like yeah I mean he doesn't give much feedback which is fine but like his plate would be clean so I hope that that means it was good and she was like yeah so like he's never gonna be a client that like is like you did so good or like this was amazing or can I have second like he's never gonna like never gonna do that and she was like is that something that you can be okay with and I was like and I mean, to be honest, like in those moments where you're serving these meals that you poured your heart into and that you like, you know, they didn't see you behind the doors, but you were like working like crazy, like ma like a maniac to make this beautiful dish. You do kind of want like this little like, that was real good. And you don't get it. It is hard, but you have to, what she told me really helped me. And it was, which I mean, you've. You probably think like this already. And I, I did in a way, but you still want that encouragement. But it was like, he has so many like brain, like switches in his brain going and gears moving around. You could drop like, you know, <laughs> a whole plate of something in front of him and make a mess. And he probably wouldn't notice. Like she was like, food is his fuel. He doesn't eat for fun. He loves really good food. And that's why you're here. But he doesn't eat for like the fun of it. He's very logistical. Like it's like he eats to fuel his body. And so it's like you're not going to get those kudos from him. And I hope you're okay with that. I'm like, I will get okay with that. <laughs> well, I think it, it doesn't always necessarily need to come from the client too. Like, it, you know, especially when it comes from your team, right? Your flight deck, creating that really encouraging environment. I think that's part of CRM too, of, of ensuring that everyone feels really safe to like, I, I, I think it's. It's important to be able to praise publicly and criticize privately, right? So amongst the team there, being able to to praise like, oh, I, I thought that was really great when you did that. Thank you so much for doing that. Praising your colleagues in front of one another. But then if there's any ever kind of criticism, making sure it's a really safe environment. I think that all lends itself into really healthy CRM with your team. It doesn't always necessarily need to, you know, that, that verbal, those words of affirmation. It doesn't always necessarily need to come from our clients, but making sure that we feel celebrated and appreciated and encouraged from the people we work shoulder to shoulder with 
I think that's a that's a very key element for feeling happy and healthy in our jobs long term. Absolutely. And I think you can be so surprised too with clients like this, which I think is very common in our industry to have those. They want their privacy. It's like they don't want you to come into the cabin to check on them. They want to press their call button if they need anything. And I honestly, I'm getting to where I like those kind of accounts because it's like they know what they want. You don't have to like push something up, not push something on them, but you don't have to try and guess. And so I kind of like it because it's like they're seasoned in who they are and what they like, and that's it. Sometimes it makes it a really hard goal to reach to replicate what they want over and over or to like, you know, like, oh, my chef at home makes this and it's fantastic. Can you do it? Okay. Um, you know, or whatever. Well, that sounds like an invitation to go shadow their chef. Like, I don't know what you heard, but I just heard that that sounds like an invitation to go shadow their chef. I think so too. I'm waiting for my invitation. And, uh, yeah, that's what that sounds like to me. It might be need to be self-initiated, but I think there's an invitation there waiting. <laughs> I actually just got the opportunity and it will be up here soon to go shadow submission star chefs. And I'm cool. so excited. Um, it's with one of my favorite clients at the moment and they invited me. And they so they I do get to do that because he does want me to replicate things on the plane that his chefs are, are doing at home. And I was like, that's amazing. And I didn't even have to ask. They were like, please come do this. And I was like, no, they didn't even do that. They said, are you willing to come and like work in the kitchen? And I was like, it's a real hard ship, but I guess I can come. <laughs> oh, bend my arm. <laughs> that was my arm. So that'll be your... And speaking of culinary staff, you have gone to culinary school. Um, you went to a yacht culinary school for yacht chefs, correct? A super yacht chef culinary school, correct. Yeah, I thought yeah. it would have more similarities just due to resources and client planning. Um, just because other other broader culinary school curriculums kind of include restaurant management, kitchen management, inventory management, um, which are key parts of understanding, but it it, uh, it it didn't quite feel applicable to what we did. So I was pretty calibrated in terms of knowing what I wanted to learn and glean from. Yeah, and that was probably now what, four and a half, five years ago almost? Something like that. Like almost right years before ago. the pandemic, right? Yeah. Sorry before the pandemic. Um, what would you say like doing that, did you really feel like it helped hone your skills in on the plane? Because now you make these beautiful dishes on the plane. You I just saw the other day that you made these amazing, what was it, barbecue ribs. Oh yeah. These were delicious. It was ridiculously how it was ridiculous how easy they are. You know, I think what culinary school forces you to do is to have razor sharp time management skills, which I think permeates every skill in your life or every task management in your life for that matter. Uh, it was fantastic for that. And it was good to break it down to the fundamentals. I Something that, that resonates with me and that I see often because it's a whole other topic to get into. We kind of are getting a glance of what everyone's doing now, right? Because every corporate flight attendant now has a social media page where they're kind of showing their work, right? But I always think, I, I think about this from culinary school. I remember one of the uh, chefs put an orange de decoration on a chocolate cake. And the head chef said, is it an orange chocolate cake? She's like, no, I just wanted it to look pretty. She goes, the way you plate, the way you garnish needs to match what the dish is itself. If that's not in the dish itself, why is it 
part of the garnish or why is it part of the decor? And that's something that resonates with me often because I think we're so forced to always make things look beautiful, but functionality and form meet, need to meet at a crossroads. They can't be like running, uh, you know, uh, running next to each other and never intersecting in what we do. So that's something that stuck with me for a while. That, the time management skills, and definitely having an extremely organized mise en place. Um, one thing it also forces you to do, which I don't know if I have uh, the most self-discipline when doing at home, um, collecting all your ingredients at once, having them all in front of you before you start. Sometimes I'm like, oh, if I'm just making a quick cornbread, I'm like, all right, I'm just grabbing things as I go and I don't grab it all together at once. Um, but that is a good habit to get into that culinary school drives into you for sure. That's so I love so many things about what you just said. Also, I'm the same way in my kitchen, which I also was just telling someone the other day because they were like professionally asking me, how do you stay organized on the plane? And I was like, do, 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 do. And they're like, do, does that transfer to your personal life? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like they say, it's like you have your customer service self and then your real self, right? Like, I think there's been memes like, who am I? Who's my voice when I'm speaking in my customer service um, voice? Um, there's definitely a little bit of that between me and my kitchen at home and me and the cooking on the plane. Absolutely. And I, I want to speak to something you said too about your culinary school experience and like something that your chef told you about, like the orange. I remember, and I don't know, I mean, you get so many texts, but I remember texting you when we worked for the same company and I, or it might've been after, I don't know. Anyway, um, I was plating soup and I like made this nice Parmesan crisp to go on top of it. I was trying to like make it all fancy. I put like microgreens on it. I think it was just tomato soup. And I was like, I just wasn't so happy with it. So I ended up not sending, sending it out. I just ended up out, sent out a plain bowl of soup with like some bread on the side. And I sent you a picture of both options. And I was like, dude, I don't know if this is right. Like, I I don't know. Maybe I should have dressed it up more. Like, I I don't know. And you said, oh, what was it? it? You said everything on a plate needs to be intentional. And sometimes soup is just soup. And I still think about that to this day. And exactly what you said, if it's not meant to be eaten on the plate, don't have it. Like if it's not going with the ingredients, like if it's not going to add flavor to the dish that you want there, don't put it there. Sometimes soup is just soup. Sometimes ribs are just ribs. Like, <laughs> wait, was it a Parmesan crisp? Because I feel like I would have endorsed that. I don't know. Honestly, it was something. It probably was. Okay. It was probably okay. not as nice. <laughs> no, I'm sure it was lovely. I'm sure it was lovely. But I was like, no, but it just didn't look good because I was trying to add to it. Like I was literally like putting microgreens, like it was just becoming something that it was. Oh, okay. Okay. It didn't look like it belonged there. And it was literally just a thing of soup. But you know what I, you know what I think is commendable in that is you trusted your gut instinct. And I think so many people, they try to strong arm saying, well, it looks okay because of X, Y, and Z. And like, and they, and you, and you begin to get justified. I think the moment you start justifying why this looks good, you're, you're not trusting that internal intuition and that gut of, no, this doesn't look good and I'm looking for reasons why it looks good. Being able to trust that inner calibration of this is okay, this is not okay. Where do I restrain? Where, where have I taken it too far and how do I go back? It, that's an important skill. And on the flip side of it too, if you know the flavors are there, but it doesn't look your favorite, I've sent those dishes out to you where it's like, this is not my best plating. 
but I've cooked everything on this plate and I know 100% for a fact that it's absolutely amazing. Um, and sometimes you have to trust your gut on that as well. Like don't send out something that looks like a pile of garbage, but like, you know, sometimes it's not going to be your best because sometimes you have to work to get there. And you have off days. Like I've had a lot of off days, especially like recently. Like I just like, I was so tired recently on a trip that I just like, I thought I was going to get fired off of the account because I was just like every dish, there was something that wasn't my favorite and every dish I wasn't plating where I wanted it to be, but the flavors were there. And I knew that. And, but I still had this like voice in the back of my head being like, this wasn't your best. This wasn't your best. You're going to get fired. And all. And I think like that's always something that I really want to push forward. To. Like I always want to be honest about that kind of thing because I think we have such an internal battle in our head because we are perfectionists in this industry. We always want to be the best. But the, at the end of the day, even Michelin star chefs have days at their house where they're not cooking their best or where the dish isn't their favorite or, you know, where it's not going to make it on their Michelin star menu, you know, and that's we're we're pumping out these menus constantly and. I don't. We're humans. That's why I guess is the point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think too. I I think of a. I have this cute little Italian restaurant near me, and um, they have a great bolognese. And it's always really sad to me because they add like those edible orchids to it, just one. And I and I always think this is beautiful just as it is, like the parpadel, the bolognese, just even a basil. It's it's beautiful. It doesn't need more right? And I think some food is just beautiful inherently because of what it is, and it doesn't need to look like modern gastronomy art for that matter. And we can almost sometimes make things look worse by trying to fine-tune it too much or add edible flowers that just don't quite belong, right? It just, it kind of looks like a faux pas or something from like the 1998 caterer, wedding caterer or something like that. Uh, I, I think, yeah, edible flowers yeah. have their time and place pick wisely. Most certainly. Most certainly they do. <laughs> I, I do think the purple edible orchid is like way overdone. And that's that's a trend that has gone and passed now. Name one um, that actually sat there and ate that orchid. Name. I don't I don't know. Don't know. I don't know. And, and you know, I could maybe if you're leaving Hawaii and it's on a fruit plate, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to give a benefit of the doubt here. But but I think, you know, we have to there there is. And I think part, part of being a chef and a talented chef is kind of honoring your ingredients, right? Respecting your ingredients for that matter. And I think sometimes we can be disrespectful to the dish that we're plating if we try to fine tune it too much, making it try to be something that it wasn't never intended to be. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Beef, strog beef strog enough. It's never going to be gorgeous. It's never, it's just chili. I mean, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe someone wants to create like a beef Wellington case for it. I don't know. And it could be beautiful, but there are certain things in its most standard uh, presentation that are just not, they're just not meant to be that way. We have to honor our ingredients. We have to honor our cuisine in that manner and not force it to be something that it was inherently not designed to be. I love that. I do. I really do. And I think with that in almost like a little bit of a shift, on the flip side of everything that we're talking about, you have hospitality. Like I'm just doing oh, big yeah. shift. Yeah. Because yes. I just okay. know that this is one of your favorite things. Um, it's one of my favorite things as well. It's what I mean, I was just telling someone the other day that like I started off at like Dairy Queen. 
And even then, I loved hospitality. Like I liked putting like cream and sprinkles and handing it out to a kid. Like I loved going above and beyond and remembering people's names. And then I worked at a coffee shop and I did the same thing. And I love hospitality. I love one-upping myself. And it's always fun to see how other people think and do hospitality. Like I love whenever you post things that you do in your, your house for like guests. Like when you <laughs> show your guest room, I'm oh my god, this is so fun. Oh, you're so sweet. So I have a question for you. This is a question I ask in all of interviews that I conduct when hiring people. What do you feel like is the difference between customer service and hospitality? Oh boy, I'm gonna... Uh, There's no right answer. There's no right answer. This is very personal. I know that. And I know that. Um, customer service to me is, you know, saying please, thank you, like trying to make the best thing happen and trying to put the customer first. I think hospitality is like going above and beyond. And like, I I have recently just completely done a deep dive into the show, The Bear. And yes. have you watched this? Oh, I watched the first season. I need to catch up. I need to reactivate my Hulu subscription, I think, all in order are. to watch the second season. Um, yes. And there's this episode where this guy who doesn't like customer service, doesn't like hospitality, gets sent to a Michelin star restaurant and gets to shadow the leader and the the manager there, the hostess. Um, and there's this beautiful moment where he's been there for weeks. And then you see that they do these things like this one person sitting at this table at this Michelin star restaurant and it's like, oh, I can't believe we leave Chicago tomorrow. We haven't even had a deep dish pizza or whatever kind of pizza Chicago is known for. And the waitress or hostess overhears that, goes into the kitchen and is like, we have a special mission. And they send this guy out to go get a pizza and he's so excited because he knows it's going to make their day. And this Michelin star restaurant delivers this deep dish pizza to them so that they get a slice of it. And I was like, that is hospitality in its like core is like, it's not even pizza that we made. We're not going to try to make it something fancy. We're going to go get you exactly what you want so that you get that experience and remember that you had it here. And so I think hospitality for me is making that impression about something on your client so that they remember, oh, she's the one that got me this or or made me feel like this or gave me that satisfaction or uh, these flavors those kind of memories. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. What does it mean to you? To me, I see customer service as a script of all the different touch points you have to hit. And then hospitality is what happens in between those moments as, you, as you're collecting dots, as you're collecting the information on the client, and then finding those windows of opportunity to be a master of thoughtfulness and to deliver surprise and delight moments. I love that quote by Will Gadara. It's, um, uh, customer service is black and white hospitality is color. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And that answer is so good. Finding those windows of opportunity. Like, I love that. Like both of those quotes, one by you and one by Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't take credit for the second one, but I, I, I do really love, and I, and I think too, um, those who speak the love language of hospitality, I think we know it's, it's a little bit of a selfish pleasure because it feels really good to give good hospitality to other people. It is. It's so rewarding to feel like you nailed something like that, to know that you made a difference in that person's day. Like they might not say it to you, but you know, it's like, oh gosh, it's this, 
rush. <laughs> and you know, and you know what I think the key is? The key is to creating those positive outward experiences to clients like across the industry is by creating them internally for your team. Like it starts from the top and it starts from managerial. How are how are corporate flight attendants and cabin attendants supposed to become hospitality experts or hospitality, those who delight in it, if they themselves aren't aren't experiencing it, if they themselves aren't feeling hospitality turned inwards towards them. <laughs> and I think that's something that's been missing in the, especially in the corporate flight attendant field and what we do across the industry in terms of making each valued employee feel seen, heard, and appreciated. And just those those three elements, those are elements of hospitality. And you're saying it's like a rarity to get that in this industry, am I right? I think it's, I think it, especially when I start to think about some of the positions that you and I have held in the past, some of the positions that uh, that still exist in the market or stories that I hear, um, especially when it comes to the, again, the charter market. I think it's something that's, that's missing. If you want to create and build an extraordinary team of hospitality professionals, they need to learn that inward and feel that inward and watch the magic that happens for your clients and guests externally. Yeah. It has to be fulfilled inward before it can begin being extended outward. I love that so much. And I think that it's so true because, and it goes back to also all that we've been talking about of like, and I think I'm still learning this very much so, and you've seen me stumble in it is like, we have the power to say no. And like, it's our job to say yes and. However, professionally and personally, we have the ability to say no and set our boundaries. And I think that that's part of creating that atmosphere where there is this um, inward <laughs> reflection and this inward um, wanting to, uh, I don't know, do better and to to create this atmosphere where everyone's appreciated and respected and where you get to create those moments is I think you have to set your boundaries and show people what they are. And through that, you cultivate your outward being and what's going to happen and your colleagues will respect that like setting those boundaries and talking about them I think really what does that mean to you like give me an example what does that mean to you so I think by setting boundaries in like okay so a really plain one would be like turbulence like hey guys I I'm not going to cook during really bad turbulence like please let me know if we're going to hit some and I'll try to at least have most of my station cleaned up so that I'm not going to get a pan in the face. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. Andre starts a respect where your colleagues start to see like, oh, she's been doing this long enough and she knows what she needs. And it starts this talk where then we can start creating those moments for one another that make our day seamless instead of building up frustration and not wanting to create those moments together. If that okay. makes sense. Like you're creating okay. this app around you where you're becoming a team and you're going to start wanting to cultivate those moments together and it makes it easier when you're all on the same level like playing field um and to do that you have to talk about your boundaries and talk about what you need it's like a relationship because it is a relationship with your colleagues um 
And well, I think, and I think a term that maybe is a little bit broader and more understood than boundaries is respect, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, if you feel respected, uh, you know, that, that, that's a powerful feeling, um, internally by being, feeling respected by your colleagues and your management for that matter. Uh, and it's empowering. And I, and I think that, that, um, that definitely aids in the service that we're able to provide when we know we're coming from a a respected environment from our employer. Yeah. Like I just worked on, you know, so you were talking about how like we haven't, you and I haven't always had those moments or places that have wanted to help us cultivate those atmospheres where they're trying to knock you down, honestly, or they're doing things that are kind of making you knock yourself down or whatever it might be. But I recently was working with these pilots and they had never had a flight attendant on this account. Obviously, the pilots had worked with flight attendants, but for years, they haven't had a flight attendant, let alone had they had one that was doing everything cooking-wise on board. And so they wanted to do an hour, hour 15 show. And I was like, okay, so the first few flights I did it and I was stressed to the max, like I did not have time barely to like make them coffee and get them set up. So I was like, I have to get X, Y, and Z done before the flight. <laughs> so finally they were like, hey, you seem like so busy in the back. Like what's going on back there? And I was like, well, like depends on the menu, but like when, before, before the passenger gets there, there's certain, I have to get my knees on glass in place. Like I have like all of my shallots and garlic cut, like my herbs all ready to go. Like then like depending on the day and the flight time, I might make my puree on the ground just because it's loud. It takes like steaming them or boiling them in milk to get them there. So it's time consuming. Like there's just, I might season a meat or a season a fish or create a marinade. And they were like, whoa, like, do you have enough time in an hour to do that? And I was like, I usually do a two hour show. And they're like, dude, let's start doing that. Like, we didn't know you were doing so much. And then they started coming back and like watching me cook. And they were like, wow, we had no idea. Like, we're so sorry that like we didn't asked. I was like, it's okay. Like, I'm glad we're having this conversation now. So now they ask me every flight. They're like, hey, do you need two or two and a half hours? Like, what do you want? And it's so amazing to have that. And it is that respect where they now know my boundaries or respect. But I feel like you should have felt like, I felt like you should have been empowered to be like, hey guys, based off the workload that I have today, may we please do a two, maybe two and a half hour show time just to accommodate what I'm planning on doing for the client in flight. I think that's an important piece of the puzzle missing is that we should feel empowered to say what we need, especially because um, our, our crew, our flight deck, they'd have no problem saying, oh, we got to get to the airport early to de-ice because we have all of these other conditions. We too should feel empowered that if we need extra time, we can ask for that, right? And I will say one piece of the puzzle that I didn't say was that I did ask for it. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, that is an important piece. They said no. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's so it was like an ongoing thing. And now I just am more firm about it. Like I was willing to compromise myself, like not even compromise. Well, yeah, sure. And, but now I'm like a lot more firm on it. And I learned just because it was like not worth the stress. It wasn't worth not getting what I needed to get done. Um, well, mistakes mistakes happen when you're rushing, right? And certainly um, anyone in aviation respects and understands that, that that is when mistakes happen. So, you know, anytime we can give ourselves a little bit more of a cushion time to be a little more methodical in what we're doing, it's a safer environment because of that. Yes. 
you know, I'm sharing some stories about my experiences. What's one of your favorite hospitality stories either that have has happened to you or one that you've given someone on the plane, whether it be crew or a passenger? I have a really simple one that comes to mind um, that I was uh, an, ex- an example of me receiving hospitality. It's really simple. Um, but most of the, all the, all the good ones are, you know, hospitality isn't always luxury. It's just making someone feel really well looked after. So I was, uh, it was when I was pregnant. I was pretty pregnant. We were in South Florida and I was allowing myself one coffee a day. So I find this cute little coffee shop and due to the, I mean, they, they grind the beans and then it's a single pool of espresso and it's just, it takes a little bit of time when you're making coffee in that way. It was just one gentleman working behind the counter and he was a young kid. He's kind of like a surfer kid. Um, I think it was his coffee shop too. He was really, really proud of his brick and mortar. And it was a really, really hot day and he knew it was going to take a little time. So he says, hey, while you wait for your coffee, can I get you a glass of water? And that was a profound moment of hospitality for me because he knew it was hot outside. So I was pregnant. Knew it was going to be a little while before my coffee was ready and just wanted to ensure that I had something to sip on that was hydrating for me before my coffee was ready. And that was that was profound because he was really thinking about putting himself in my shoes um, and trying to make a pleasant experience. And that was really, again, simple but profound to me. In terms of client-facing experiences, oh, yes, I have a couple that I, that I do enjoy. And it all comes down to that ABCD, always be collecting dots, right? Every little touch point or thing you overhear is, is a dot that you can connect to potentially create this master of thoughtfulness experience. So I was flying um, a group of gentlemen with all of, they were all college buddies and life gets busy when you have like huge careers. Each, each one of them were, were very successful in their own respects. Um, kids, family, like life gets busy. So they finally were doing this ski trip. They hadn't done it since like maybe after college. Exciting to do this ski trip. And um, they were just so enthused to be all together. You know, you have one guy who's who's a little um, more eclectic. You have the, the lawyer who's really kind of serious, but like breaking out of his shell a little bit as the drinks are flowing. And um, they're just having a good old time. You can tell they're so excited to be together. So we land in a very um, uh, picture picturesque airport for this ski trip. So I said, oh, gentlemen, why don't you get outside and we'll take a picture of you guys together uh, outside the plane. And uh, just so you guys remember that. And I was like, uh, and they were like, oh, okay. And they're all looking for their phones. You know, it's a cold place. They have jackets on. I said, oh, I have my phone. Don't worry about it. I'll airdrop it to everybody. So we get outside in front of the plane. They all have their arms around each other. And um, so I quickly snap the picture on my phone. It's beautiful backdrop. Beautiful plane looks gorgeous behind them. And so on the return flight, I had had that picture framed for each of them. And just it, it didn't cost much money. I think I just went to Walmart and just had simple frames and I had it framed for each of them. And I just put it in little gift bags and had it on all their seats. And um, they, when they opened it and they got back on the plane for the return flight, they said, this is so amazing. Thank you so much. And he's like, you know, we don't get to do this too often. He's like, it's pretty special that we got to do this. And thank you so much for this memory reminder. Furthermore, I had remembered that on the flight over, he's like, Oh yeah, the wife gave me hell for coming on this boys trip. You know, kids are crazy. He's like, I got, I got, you know. So I made sure at the end of the flight, I gave him a bouquet of flowers. And I said, please bring these home to your wife and say thank you so much for allowing me to go on this memorable boys trip. And he's like, you're an angel. (laughs) Um, So I I really, really enjoyed that because it felt like 
um, you're, you're giving them a tangible component that allows that beautiful memory for them to live outside of the fuselage of, of the aircraft itself. You know, wherever, maybe, maybe they didn't put the picture frame anywhere, but maybe it's on a few of their desks or maybe it's in a few of their homes or something like that. Um, and they always get to remember when they went on that, that boys trip, that was so hard to coordinate and get them together in one place. That's amazing. That and you took out a piece of stress of like going home to the wife. I oh, love <laughs> like I mean, he, she's probably like, I know you didn't buy these. Like, what the heck? But I, I, I wanted him. I mean, what woman doesn't love flowers? You and I both know we love flowers. So yeah, I love that so much. And <clears throat> I mean, it's such a good reminder. And I, I also had to write down the ABC. Do I love that? I think oh, yes. <laughs> you know, we just found our episode title. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a that's a Danny Meyer concept from Union Square Hospitality. Okay, uh, I I mean, ah, oh gosh, I learn something new every time I talk to you, and I mean, I talk to you a lot. Uh, you're just me, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> I talk to Judy so much, and I'll be texting her things, and she's so sweet to respond. But um, I always learn something talking to you, whether it be about personal life, work life, hospitality, how to treat others, like just mindset. Like the last thing I want to touch on, because I know we're cutting our time close here, but is last week you made this really amazing video. You went live in your car and with Mr. Go in the back and you wanted to share that how you talk about others is important, which I have always learned from you. And I love this about you because you inhabit it and it lives within you like it is to your core you talk about everyone with such a respect and you weren't saying anything negative about anyone but you were saying something that you learned and you were sharing it in such a beautiful poised way and I just loved it so much and I know so many other people I've heard many flight attendants buzzing about it this week because it was so profound you just hopping on there and sharing something so real Gosh, that's really kind. It's probably far too generous with your words for just a no way. A very, very thrown together video. It's it's I I don't go Instagram live often. I don't know. I think it's sometimes a little awkward because it's so one sided. You have all these people watching you, but you have nothing to feed off of in terms of uh just another another face to feed off of. So I, I don't do it often, but it was um it was not lost on me that we were at this historic flight attendant event and you're in this room full of all these amazing other corporate flight attendants and you know there's still a couple sourpusses that just liked to speak ill of other people and i i think that's something that i've seen a lot since i got started in this industry um, and it used to be so much more forward facing. I think perhaps now it's gone a little bit more private and it's, you know, it's, it's a lesson I've learned because I was part of that at one point in time. Um, and I just came to realize that you never make yourself look better by tearing someone else down. And yes, this is a competitive industry and yes, sure. It's saturated. There's a lot of corporate flight attendants in the industry, but I would say instead of looking at someone who's maybe better than better than you in terms of a little more talented culinary skills, has the job you want, uh, whatever it is. Um, Simon Sinek talks about like choose a worthy enemy. And I that I don't mean enemy in terms of like adversary, like choose a worthy, maybe he means adversary, not enemy. I kind of forget the exact word he uses, but choose someone worthy. Choose someone that makes you 
better than you were before, that you want to be where you are. And you don't speak negatively of them. You don't wish ill to them. You just know that they make you better by running alongside that race. Because I look at the Olympic runners, right? I mean, I love sprinters. Like that is something I love to watch. Like the world, um, the world records that just happened, like Sydney McLaughlin on the hurdles. People do not run their best races unless they have fierce competition next to them running neck and neck. So I think that there needs to be a dynamic mindset mindset shift in the industry where just because someone is where you want to be doesn't mean we need to tear them down or talk ill of them so that other people begin to adopt these negative thinking think thoughts about them. No, use them to your advantage. Say, that's where I want to be. I want to be, I, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to run this race next to them and I'm going to be, I'm going to get there. That's choosing a worthy adversary, not using it in terms of a derogatory manner to rip someone down. Because that's what it always is, right? Like when we're talking bad about someone, it's normally because they have something that we want. It's normally because we're a little jealous, maybe. I don't know. We all have our own differences. But if we can really change the seismic mind shift of, that's my worthy adversary. That's who I'm going to run alongside of, and they're going to make me better. It's going to be a powerful shift in the industry if we can change it to that. Well, and that's always been your mission since starting Flightist I, that I've seen, and I, I think I know from talking with you personally that that's always been your goal is to build one another up and to create a community. Like, literally, that's what Flightist is about, is creating community. Yeah. That's always been your goal and community isn't going to tear each other down and on the on to also go off of what you said in using that to be like oh my god they're where i want to be also be cheering them on like be yeah. saying like you're doing so great like how did you get there like ask them questions yeah. be no friend yeah like be like i'm so in awe of you like how did you do it? how did you cultivate this like drive it like, doesn't it doesn't mean that you can't be friends with them Right. It does not mean I'm not saying when I say, you know, a worthy adversary does not no, mean no. making yeah. enemies or being not friends. And I think um, when it comes to the community of, of Flatus, I, you know, and it's something that I've experienced recently where I had someone really give the spiel of like kind of tearing down a, a, a certain group of women. And I had to, I had to remind everybody that's in my community group that. When we tear other people down in the name of speaking up or speaking up on behalf, it's like it's like two negatives, right? Like we're we're never advocating for one group of people or advocating for people when we're simultaneously tearing someone else down. And I think too, one thing that's really important to move forward in this when you do hear people talk like that or hear people that are kind of ripping on any any sense of community that that uplifts one another. I try to always go into the mindset of like with graciousness of what are they experiencing that's leading to this kind of vitriol? Like it's never just that one thing that that's going on. They're like there, there must be some broader picture that's leading them to feel this way and talk this way. And I think that's also part of having a community mindset where we're not binary in terms of, oh yeah, this person's for the community. This one's against the community. No, I think it's actually kind of on a gradient scale. You can find people who are operating at their highest self. They're all about the community. They're all about giving. They're all about humility. They're all about bettering one another. Iron sharpens iron. But then we can also be operating at our lower self. And maybe we're not speaking in a way that's beautiful to others or respectful to others. 
there's always broader things going on. So if we can if we can adopt this graciousness mentality to the community as a whole, that that it's not binary. People are just operating on different wavelengths on this whole spectrum. Yeah. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I think you're so eloquent and you have such a good mindset on these things. And I love your reminders. Please continue to throw them into the world. And I love what you, you know this, but I love what you stand for. I love what you put out into our community and just in your everyday life to everyone. Like you are just such a good role model, mentor, person. And I think Oh, just, we're so grateful as a community to have you. I'm so grateful to have you in my life and like in any capacity. I'm the always feelings mutual. The feelings mutual. I'm just in awe of you always. Like I think you know I'm probably one of the ones on this whole call. It gets like you know get someone that looks at you the way I look at Jamie Gibson. <laughs> God, I should like Venmo you after this for compliments of this nature. Oh my God. It's like too much. So kind. Thank you so much. Well, I'm just so proud of you and what you're doing. You know, you had this idea for a podcast just to bring some voices out and about, hear people's stories that are in this industry and talk about the reality of it. It's been a really powerful movement. I think eye opener for a lot of people that, hey, I'm not alone in this. Yeah, I hope so. Um, Just trying to, you know, take a page from your book. I love it. Take all the pages. Take them all. Well, I know you are a busy lady. Thank you so much for making the time to get on here. I'm so glad we finally got you on here and I can't wait for when we get to have you back. Thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm.